Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell, and thank you again for showing up and listening to another um, episode of this particular podcast. Um, you guys have been awesome and great. I tell you that every week. Um, I'm always pleasantly surprised by the emails and, and um, text messages and things that I get from those of you who have listened to both the podcast and the videos on YouTube. And so I thank you very, very much for your attention to this. Didn't know how this was going to work itself out. Been wanting to do a podcast for a minute, tried it some years ago. Didn't have the time to really keep it up and this time committed to doing it and staying consistent and really working this thing out to see where we go with it. Um, but I'm also um, always eager, you know, because it gives me an opportunity to touch base with people in the field of fatherhood that I have um, admired. Um, I've watched, I've watched do their own area of work, um, have really been um, informed by the work that they do and wanted to begin to do something to elevate their voices and their work as well so that we can round out what the public knows about the responsible fatherhood work because in many circles that I go in people don't even know there is a responsible fatherhood work and so I want to get the expertise that's out there and those who have been toiling in this space for so many years um, to bring them to the forefront so that when people are looking into and thinking about fatherhood engagement that they're talking and listening to the right people. And the person that I have on today is one of those people. He is Armin Brat. Um, he's a Marine, which I did not know, um, but has dedicated his last 15 years to providing men with the tools, support, and knowledge to help them become the fathers they want to be and their families need, to, need them to be. Um, he has seven critically acclaimed books uh, for fathers that have sold over a million, and I believe it is now 1.5 million um, books. Um, one of those titles include something that we're going to talk about today, and that is the expectant father, facts, tips, and advice for dads to be, um, and the new father, a dad's guide to the first year. Um, he has written on fatherhood for hundreds of newspapers and magazines. He's a frequent guest on such television programs as the Today Show. He also writes a nationally syndicated newspaper column called Ask Mr. Dad. And he hosts a syndicated radio show called Positive Parenting. And he lives with his family in Oakland, Oaktown, California. How you doing, Armin? I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm, you know... <laughs> blessed um, and highly favored and, and glad to be um, seen and not viewed as one of my good friends always says to me. And so, but I wanted to, uh, sure what that means, you didn't <laughs> seen and not viewed. Well, typically, you know what, do you, I'm sure you know what it means when you're being viewed, right? Well, yeah. Well, 
Right. And seeing but not under the microscope, I guess, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>, uh... <laughs> and so um, I had a chance to get, um, the, I think it's your latest copy. Um, I think this is the yep. latest one. And so uh, I have, yeah, yeah. I think, three versions back. I might even have all, all five of them. I know I have a few of them. I have to go and find them. They're probably in shelves somewhere. Um, and this is the newest um, edition of The Expectant Father, The Ultimate Guide for Dads-to-Be um, by Armin Brod and Jennifer Ash Rudick. Um, and it is a New York Times bestseller. And it's crazy, Armin, every time... I see this book or I'm reminded of this book. I'm often reminded of the times that I stand in front of people and say, when you had a child, they didn't give you a manual. But I never like go <laughs> a step further and say, one has actually been written. You just don't get it. And so um, I have to change that dialogue when I stand before people and say, you didn't get a dad's manual when your child born to let them know that a manual does exist. And we're so grateful to you uh, for doing this. But what stimulated you um, to engage in this project now five editions ago? Well, when it first started, I was an expectant father, or the, the idea started bouncing around in my head. And there were no classes for expectant dads. It was, you'd have to go to the birthing class with your partner. There were no books, certainly nothing for expectant dads in the book department. Every once in a while, there'd be an article in one of the women's magazines about how to get your husband to do more stuff around the house, which was not really the information that I was looking for. And then the, the story that I like to tell and, and when I'm teaching classes for expectant fathers is it used to be what to expect when you're expecting was the, the Bible for women. And there was a little section about this big mm -hmm. paragraph or so, not even, not even half a page about uh, why men would have affairs during their wife's pregnancy, wow. which was about the only time they really ever addressed fathers in the whole book. Mm -hmm. And it just pissed me off. Really, I mean, to, to get down to it, that just really, really pissed me off. And then when, when the baby was born, I started reading to her from the moment she was born. Um, and, and I realized very quickly that there were almost no dads in the, the books that I was reading to her. Mm -hmm. There was all this, is your mama a llama? And you know, everything is all about mom. Mm -hmm. And if dad was there at all, he would bounce the kids on, the, on in his knee before putting them to bed on the last page of the book. That was when you saw dad. And I thought, this is just absolutely ridiculous. Here I am, I'm, at that point I had decided to be a stay-at-home dad and thought, it's outrageous. Mm -hmm. And so I sat down and, and started working on uh, the book that became The Expectant Father. And it really has been, and also the book that you mentioned the first year, there's one for toddlers also, there's one for military dads, all, it, there's a whole bunch of different books. But uh, it became the books that I wished I would have had at the time, mm. because just to because I realized after talking to other guys that there was a lack of information, there was a lack of resources, a lack of support. And most importantly, that this is the biggest thing, a lack of understanding by the dads themselves, by their partners and by society of exactly how important fathers are in their kids lives. What is it that dads contribute to their kids and to their relationships that is so important? And that was missing. And that's what I have been trying to fill ever since. 
is to let people know dads and you do the same work. Dads are important. And by supporting dads and encouraging dads and facilitating their relationships with their kids, we are going to help not only dads, we're going to help the kids and we're going to help society as a whole. I know that sounds kind of grandiose, but that's really what it comes down to is it, it's one of these situations of rising tide lifts all boats, right? You, you help dads, you're going to be helping moms, you're going to be helping kids, you're going to be helping our institutions and society as a whole. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity yesterday to um, keynote at Region 4's um, Head Start Institute here in Atlanta that covers, I believe, eight, if not nine, um, southeastern states. Um, and it's amazing because as I walk to the podium, and we both know this, and I knew it, but every time I see it, I don't know why I have a reaction to it when I see it. But I looked out into the audience of about 150 people that was in the auditorium at the time because I was actually the last speaker of the day. So, you know, most people have, you know, cut out. Um, but of the 150 some odd people that were in the audience, there were only, including myself, five guys that were there. <laughs> and um, I always somewhat take a pause um, when I see that. But, you know, but your speaking skills take over and your personality take over and you begin to kind of realize who you're talking to and you just speak to them in their language with the things that resonate for them and try to connect what is their experience to understanding the experiences of the fathers who are on the other side of the moms that they serve in the Head Start space. And it's amazing because I was going through some of the statistics. And when you talk about um, fathers in that early childhood development space, I was sharing with them three stats that I kind of hang on and actually develop a program around called the Drive to Five about the fact that 85% of non-married couples are still romantically connected at the birth of their child. What that means for us in this space is that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity to find a way to begin to speak to both parents about co-parenting, about the importance of fatherhood, as well as the importance of of motherhood and how those two things complement each other. And then I go on to tell them the the second stat, which is by year one, um, there's no significant difference in day-to-day activities between the non-married dad and the married dad. However, by year five, um, the non-married dads are less likely to spend significant time with their children, which means life happens in from two to five years old. And so you talked about starting this book when your children were born and you were looking for resources for yourself. I got to imagine that throughout the years of you writing this book and then being a dad at the same time, that the research you were doing and the work that you were doing to complete this book taught you something as well. What did you learn from the work that you were doing in writing this book? I think that the biggest thing I learned was it's really never too late. That, that you got to just get in there. And I have a message that I think is so important is kids are remarkably resilient little creatures. And if we 
assume that just because we don't know how to do something or we feel uncomfortable doing something, we shouldn't do it. Or if we let the moms take over and we just say, okay, you, you take care of that, honey, you're better at this thing than I am. We're depriving our kids and ourselves of this wonderful relationship. And so the thing, the, the way that moms get better at stuff, and we have this idea that moms are naturally better, they really aren't. I mean, they're certainly better at breastfeeding because they've got breasts, mm-hmm. but they aren't better at taking care of kids. It's, it's really an on-the-job training kind of thing. And if you don't have the on-the-job training, you're not going to be good at it. The way that moms get better at it is they make a thousand mistakes. They figure out all sorts of stuff that doesn't work. And I think the biggest thing for me was to get over this, over myself really, was the way that I'm going to get good at this, the way that I'm going to become a competent, confident dad is by making a bunch of mistakes, learning what doesn't work, then figuring out what does work and doing that. And then understanding, of course, that the kids are going to change and what worked yesterday isn't going to work tomorrow. But that that's that comes a little bit with more experience. But that was the big lesson, I think, was... I got to do something Mm -hmm. and I can't, I'm not going to be able to just tune in when my kids are 16 and start deciding that I want to be an involved dad and, and, uh, and have a close relationship with my kids. That relationship at 16 is built on the one at 14 and 12 and eight and six and two and three months. I mean, it's, it's built on from the very beginning. Uh, So that, that I think was, was really one of the most important messages. And I think just to, to get back to your, your story about the head start, I think a couple of things are so important about that. And I say this half jokingly is that fatherhood is a woman's issue and women are so involved and they have so much to benefit. It's too bad that there couldn't have been more guys there, especially at head start, because I worked on some projects with head start. One of the things that's so important for guys to understand is and for Head Start to understand too, is that having the, encouraging the father to get involved during pregnancy has tremendous benefits for the woman and for the baby. That when the dad is involved, he helps her go to those prenatal visits, which are incredibly important. That reduces her stress. And when her stress is reduced, she's less likely to have a premature birth and less likely to have a low birth weight baby. And we know from looking at research that premature births and low birth weight babies, that's associated with a cascade of problems that can last throughout life. Mm -hmm. So getting the dad involved, explaining to him, you are incredibly important. Let's get you some resources so that you can go to the prenatal visits and you can ask questions about what's bothering you, but you can also gently encourage your partner to go that we're doing them a huge favor, but, but we're not supporting the dads as much as we should. And, and we're suffering because of it. Right. Um, I got to imagine that when you um, first had the thought about writing this book and then approaching publishers about this particular subject matter, that there probably was a level of pushback or either intense questioning on what exactly were you going to write and whether or not this book would be something that people would be interested in. Talk about that process in getting the publisher or publishers um, in a space that they understood that writing this book had value for a population that they probably did not consider as book readers. 
Yeah, it's an interesting story because it's not the typical one that you might think. I, I was, had been circulating a, a, a proposal to do a book on, on men in general and, and the way that men were kind of left out of everything. And I wasn't getting much traction. And I published an article it was in the New York Times Magazine where I described the situation where I was pushing my daughter on a swing in a park and she was about six months old. And the little girl was uh, had climbed up a ladder next to me to go down the slide. And I looked over and I saw she was about to fall backwards down the slide. I mean, she off the stairway down. And so I just reached over there and I grabbed her out of the air and I put her on the ground. It wasn't, you know, no big heroic thing. But this woman comes over, snatches up this girl and is glares at me and says to the girl, did he hurt you? Mm. And I thought, man, that is just not what is what what's going on here. And I, you know, she looked at me. I'm, a, you know, didn't look any more like a serial killer than I do now. Mm. And she she was essentially accusing me of having abused her child. And so this article that I wrote was was talking about that mm. that that men often are feel pushed out or they don't get involved. They don't take their kids to the park because they're afraid of being accused of something. And I, I heard, I got so much response to that from, from a couple guys who said that they were at the park, their kid falls down and somebody calls the police, you know, that, that kind of thing. And so that was, that article happened to be in the newspaper the same week that a woman in New York who had a contract to write a cookbook for dads was told by the publisher this is awful. You have to get somebody who can write. So she contacted, I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but she got in touch with my agent and they, so the publisher contacted me actually. So I, I skipped a little bit of the, the traditional step of sending around the proposal. They contacted me. They said, we want to write a cookbook for dads. And I said, I have no interest in writing a cookbook for dads. It's crappy writing. Anyway, here's what I'm going to do for you. And they they looked at it and they said, "Wow, this is good." And okay, we'll we'll do that. Mm-hmm. So I, I was was very lucky that they they were open and flexible, and that they saw that that there was a niche there. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I got to say that the first first uh, within six months or so after the book came out, this was back in 1995, the very first version came out. Uh, I was at a book fair in Los Angeles and. A lot of people are lined up to get free copies of the book. People line up to get free copies of every book. And one of the first people in line was a woman who came, comes up to me. She says, why did you have to write a book for fathers? Mothers are the ones who go through all the pregnancy stuff. Fathers don't need this. And, and I said, that's exactly why I had to write a book for fathers is because of that attitude. Mm-hmm. That, that people have this idea that fathers don't need to be involved. So it, it was, I, I got lucky, I, very lucky that just through chance, this woman happened to have seen my article and contacted me and I was able to do that. But, um, but there, there still was, there still was some, some pushback from the public and from other publishers. I mean, since then, uh, I get contacted all the time by guys who want to write a book and it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's it's not a a space in the publishing world that is given a lot of shelf space. Right. Well, you're talking to somebody who, well, I've never wanted to go the traditional route of having, you know, my books published, my biography, my four children's books and the graphic novel that I now have sitting 
you know, on my desk and the thought about writing these other books, you know, particularly around this fatherhood space. I've never written a book specifically on fatherhood. And people's like, you got to be kidding me. And you're like, you've never, I was like, I've never given it thought. I have three or four books in my head that I would like to write, but I don't know if I want to go through the process, you know, of writing a book that no one would see and would lend no value um, to the space itself. Which leads me to talk to you about a little bit. I'm sure that the research that you have to do to publish this book, particularly from edition to edition and scanning it and trying to see what's new, what's the new research, what's the new trending, uh, what areas of the book needs to be changed or upgraded or spoken about differently. Talk to me, talk to me a little bit about that process through which you go through to actually go from one edition to the next? Well, I happen to be a bit of a research nerd. And I'll tell you, when I when I first started the first edition of the book, this may, may seem a little embarrassing, but I, I uh, a couple of years ago had to move from one house to another and I got rid of some some documents that I had been carried around. I had a four, four drawer file cabinet, one of standard size file cabinets. The entire thing was filled with Xeroxed research papers that I got out of the research libraries at UC Berkeley, where I spent, I think I probably should have been charging me rent. I was in there so often. Um, and it was, uh, you know, I, I go through, so when, I, when I'm updating it, and I'm probably gonna be doing an update of the, the book that you held up just a few minutes ago, um, fairly soon, I'll, I'll go through it from the very beginning, read every sentence, and figure out, is there something that's changed here? Is there something new? Uh, I'm, I'm Every day I, I read information. I've got Google alerts that sends me stuff about fatherhood or, or parenting or children or motherhood or medical science, whatever it is. And so I'm, I'm constantly saving documents and saving studies and files. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm always doing it, but I'm, I'm, my, my goal is to be as up-to-date and relevant as possible. So I'm kind of out there as, uh, as an author in fatherhood and because of the columns and, and podcasts and other things that I do, a lot of people contact me. So I, I hear from dads and from moms, hey, you ought, to, you ought to be talking about this. Or here's one, you know, here's an experience I had. And I try to incorporate a lot of those because one of the I think one of the things that makes the books relevant is that are that I hear from dads and from moms too, is that, you know, that's, that was, that sounded just like my experience. And I try to, I try to incorporate, not everybody has the same experiences, of course, so that would be a, a unbelievable to, to try to write a book that everybody is going to find resonates with them, but to, to include the things and to make this something that's real, that this is what you may be feeling. And this is what this is another possibility that you may be feeling. And here's how dads deal with that. So it's not just me spouting off, although I do some of that, but it's also saying, here's what the science shows about about what really works or what really doesn't work. And here's what the studies show about what most people are doing or what most people are not doing. And so it, it provides a, a real world field tested strategies kind of thing along with the, the science makes a nice balance uh, for, for those who want the science and that, that would be me. You know, I, I want to find out, show me the study. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you know, we'll see how it works from there. 
Wow. So one of the pieces of work that, you know, I was engaged in and still engaged to a certain extent is the work around addressing the Monaghan report that specifically talked about black families with an eye and its core around black fathers. And one of the things that always intrigues me about the Monaghan report is when it was written in 1965, there was no language or subject matter in there that talked about incarceration. It wasn't a subject matter at that moment. And now it's a critical conversation. As you write this book, um, you said the first one was in 1995. What wasn't in your book in 1995, even wasn't even in your space that was insignificant and now in 2020 is something that is a must and you gotta talk about? Well, I think gay fathers is something. Uh, I, I haven't addressed the issue of trans men, um, which I suppose is, is going to come up. Um, and also, it, interesting that every, you know, I t- mentioned I, I teach some classes for expectant fathers, and every once in a while, uh, I, the hospital calls and says, hey, we have a, a, an expectant mom or the non-expectant mom in a two-mom couple, a lesbian couple. And can she come to your class? And I always have to say no, but I'd be happy to talk to her because having a woman in the class changes the dynamics and guys just won't talk about stuff. But I think the, the idea that, that the non-expectant mother in a, in a lesbian couple is going through a lot of the same stuff as the dad is, as far as being excluded or not being able to understand a role or being looked at as as superfluous in a lot of ways. Um, I think technology also is something that that I've dealt with not only in the expecting father but also in the in the first year book and the toddler years books about use of technology, use of tablets and phones as babysitting devices, uh-huh. and whether that's doing damage to our kids. And I think it is in a lot of ways. We all have to make a phone call or take a shower or something. And okay, here's the phone. Play, play a game while I'm in the shower. That's, that's fine. We all have to do that. I'm not going to be judgmental about that stuff. But if it's every day for two hours or more, then, then we have a problem. Um, so I think those kinds of things. And also that what's, what's changing, which is nice, is that there is getting to be slowly but surely a little bit more research on fathers. Okay. Uh, there, there is so little of it, or there was so little of it. I, I still remember this. The, one of the first papers I came across when I, when I was researching, I was do searches on the computer for for uh, the importance of fathers, and uh, it was I can't. All of a sudden, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but the, the article was called "Fatherhood as a Precipitant of Mental Illness." And it was it was basically it was written in the in the late fifties, mm-hmm. and it was basically looking at how how guys becoming fathers go crazy. <laughs> that's that's what the research was back then. Okay, so now now we're actually looking at at the role that dads play, but so much of the research continues to be focused on moms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a a study a couple of months ago that that found that fifty three percent of new mothers put their brand their their new babies down to sleep on their stomach and the 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 uh, current thinking is babies should be going to sleep on their back mm-hmm. and i looked at that and i thought 
53% of new mothers, why are they, why not dads? Are they not talking to dads? I mean, if, if you're going to do something to tell the moms to not put the babies down on their stomach, you got to tell the dads too. What's the point of, of telling only half of the people in the family? But it still does not register with people that, that dads are important players in this and that only talking to moms makes the dads feel useless makes them say, well, she, I, I don't know, you don't, I don't need to do this. I'll let mom take care of that. So a lot has changed, but a lot has not changed, which is, which is disappointing. Yeah. Yesterday, um, typically when I go to conferences and there's a fatherhood conference, I'll kind of slide in and slide to the back of the room just so I can see how people are talking about fatherhood who stand up before an audience and claim to be a fatherhood guru or an expert or all of these kinds of terms that we use. And you have these guys that get up there and they start, you know, spouting these things out there with a room full of women. And sometimes you can just tell when the conversation is going to go left based on something that he says. But the other day when I was in this class, um, you know, to your point about, you know, really not understand the essentialness of dads, he put up a slide, and I don't know why I didn't take a, I wish I had taken a picture of this slide, but he was talking about how Head Start programs needed to come up with another term um, for the other parent other than dad so that they would have a space to put in someone else who was serving as dad. And his suggestion was that the application should ask for mom's information and other. And I just, it, it, it triggered me, Harmon, <laughs> that most things don't trigger me publicly. And I'm like, are you serious right now? We are literally having a discussion how we're just going to X dads out of the equation of caring for their children. And we're going to come up with another name that's going to be a, an available position to put anybody who wants to describe themselves as the dad in that space. How about we do that on the mom side? How about we leave the father side and we do that? Oh, no. We, so then what are we talking about here? Like, what is it that you're trying to accomplish by literally Xing out dads in the conversation around early Head Start providers. And it triggered me in such a way. And I was like, man, I was like, as far as we have come, we have such a long way to go. Um, when you, um, you know, when you're out talking about your book or you're writing your articles, doing your, your shows, what seems the relevant conversation that continues to pop up now as it relates to fatherhood? What are most people concerned about um, when they talk about fathers? Well, the dads themselves are concerned with the practical hands-on stuff. How is this going to change my life? Can we possibly afford this? And what am I supposed to do with this baby? Mm. Just the, the hands-on things. I think, um, you know, when I, when I talk about for example, I'm working on uh, with a men's health organization that I just I just started a new nonprofit where our first program is creating a curriculum to teach health educators and healthcare workers about men and about men's health issues and how they're different from women's health issues. And so we're talking about things like men are half as likely as women to go to the doctor. So 
you're going to need to do some outreach in a different sort of way. If you have a program that works for getting women in the door, you can't just all of a sudden change the pinks to blues mm-hmm. and expect that guys are going to start showing up. You're going to have to talk to them differently. And the, the way that we have mental health screenings, in uh, they're all over the place. I mean, in, in doctors' offices, in football coaches, and uh, social workers, everybody's got these mental health screenings. And they usually the symptoms are focused on women's symptoms. Like, are you do you cry a lot? Are you do you have feelings of worthlessness? Those are things that most guys are not going to say yes to, probably because they're not true. But they wouldn't want to admit it anyway, even if it were true. But if you start asking questions like, do you find yourself working 18 hours a day? Are you socially isolating away from your family? Are you using drugs and alcohol more? Are are you feeling angry? Those are symptoms for men of mental health issues, but we're not asking those questions. So we're not flagging them. So, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing that type of thing. And also we're not talking about how important dads are. We're not talking about what I, what I mentioned before uh, about what's going on that could be so beneficial to head start of when the dad is involved during the pregnancy, which is a time that, that most dads especially don't think that they have any role to play. But they have a tremendously important one. When dads are involved in pregnancy, moms are better off, babies are better off. We aren't talking about that. And and the thing that, that kills me about fatherhood programs and conferences is that there's this focus on uh, an evidence-based research. And it makes me want to scream sometimes and have the same sort of triggering thing that you got the the other day. What do you mean evidence-based research? You mean if if do, do we need do we need a study that says that moms are important? I mean, how about we, we just have all accepted that as as truth? And I think it's well, it's probably undeniable. We could probably come somebody could do a study that would show we could replace the word mother with other, and anybody could be a mom. I mean, it's any holds a baby in a bottle. I mean, if you wanted to be obnoxious about it, but so it's it's that kind of thing. And I, you know, I mentioned I I love research and I I want to see the science. I want to see the studies. But at some point, we just have to say, look, dads are important, and let's just not go on with our lives imagining that they're not and figuring out ways to ignore them. Mm. Uh, it's it's unfortunate. And then I think also this. You know, we this we could go down some political road here, but I, I was supposed to do a a class for uh, city government workers who de- deal with a lot of divorce and custody things, and so we're talking about the role of fathers, and I was going to do a, a webinar for them, and somebody comes back and says, "Well, what about trans?" Mm-hmm. Men. And, and and I said, well, I'm probably not the person to talk about that, but I would be able to find somebody who could talk about that particular issue. And so it was about defining the role for the word father. And I mean, the reality is that trans men are a very, very tiny minority mm-hmm. of, of fathers. Mm-hmm. But in because of that, we ended up having to cancel the bigger event because they couldn't figure out a way to give everybody equal time. And I, I mean, I, I try to be as, as sensitive and open and accepting of everybody. Cause I think 
we need everybody in, in the fatherhood space. There's plenty of room, and and there's there's a lot of work we have to do. But in in the name of offending two people, we're going to to cut off access to information for 98. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Why? Because you, you can't satisfy everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. This um. You know, I've you know that came up yesterday too in the conversation and i've just you know i've taken a i've taken a position in my personal and professional life particularly as it relates to fathers incorporated um and i always say that um i in no way speak for you know our work with the federal government nor do i speak on behalf of the federal government um however in my personal space you know, it's an irrelevant conversation. You know, what are we talking about? So when people ever pose that to me, I said, what about them? What is it? What's your real question? Right? Because there's always a real question. There is the bait that they throw out to you to see how you're going to respond to it. And then there is the real question. What are you asking? Get specific about what you're asking me so I can be specific on how I answer you. And then I give them the perspective of our agency and how we handle that. And and I'm able to put barriers, not barriers, but boundaries around our work. So to your point, we are very clear about what we mean in our agency about the definition of fatherhood, which is a biological definition. And we stick with that. It's a biological definition. So the question is, what happens if someone um, with a trans background comes and wants to enter your classes? Very good question. I'm glad you asked that because we actually had one. And when they showed up to us, um, they said, Mr. Braswell, um, it was a she who identified as a he, wanted to know whether or not uh, um, um, she, he could take the classes. And I said, do you identify as a father? And he said, yes. And I said, you could come on. I said, fine, come on in. I said, how I define father and how I allow people to come into my programs is based on situations. There are some men who are men who are dads that we won't let into our program because of situations and issues and things that they might be going with. So there's a protocol and criteria for everybody who comes into the pro into the program. But if you're asking me about who is a father, that's a two different conversations. And what I said to him was, listen, here's what I need for you to understand. Understand that what you're going to learn in this class is going to be from the masculine perspective. That's who we are, that's what we do. But then also understand this, 90% of what we talk about will work for you because 90% of what we talk about is pure parenting. Doesn't really matter whether you're an eggshell, a turtle, an elephant, a man, a woman, if you understand English and you want to be a parent, you're going to glean something from our program. So it really doesn't matter what you are, but if you feel that you're going to be playing this role, understand that the way we're teaching this role is from the masculine perspective. If that's not you, if that's not what you want, then I have to offer you to someone else. You're not going to get it here. And every program, every space has the option of yeah. doing that without being discriminative, which is where they try, which is why I talk about 
people who ask that question throwing out bait to see how you're going to respond so that they can define you or as A or B. I dismantle that before it even gets into the sphere because when you ask the person yeah. to frame the question so that it makes sense and ask me the specific question, 90% of them can't do that. That's a great strategy. Yeah, I, I think it's it, it's it gets so complicated that I think it's okay to talk about fathers in a in a narrow sort of way. This is what we're talking about. And yes, a great deal of it is just general parenting, but there are some things that are social and they're social because of the way society treats fathers and the way the attitude that men have about themselves. So some of it's gonna be social, but if you you start slicing and dicing so thinly, Mm -hmm. you'll never get anywhere. You won't be able to teach a class at all because every individual person, well, what about left-handed fathers? Wait, (laughs) what about people who have one blue eye and one brown eye? Well, hold on. You you, you drive yourself crazy. So as people who provide resources, we're, I suppose, taking, you could say, the easy way out or something, but we're we're saying, okay, we're going to look at the bell curve of of where fathers are and we're going to take the chunk out of the middle that's the biggest Mm -hmm. that happen to be people who were born male who produced the father. Mm-hmm. That is not to say that, for example, and I get a, I got a lot of this uh, after the first edition uh, of the book came out that became a bigger edition later on, guys who become fathers through artificial insemination. Mm-hmm. Somebody else is a sperm donor. And I talk about how uh, fathers connect or they have start having dreams about the baby or they have, uh, you know, they, they look at their, their baby when the baby's born to see if he looks like him. Well, guys who are not biologically father are probably not going to have that exactly, but they're still going to have a tremendous connection to that baby anyway. Absolutely. But so there, there are lots of different things that, that are going to change, but it's, uh, it, it's unfortunate. I mean, you know, we're, we're in a, a time an era where we talk about uh, birthing persons instead of women mm-hmm. and people with prostates instead of men. And I just, you know, maybe I'm a little too old school or something, but I, it, it's hard for me to, I mean, I want to be inclusive and, and so do you, right. but we can't be inclusive of everybody all the time because then you never get anywhere. Why? Right. And you know, the issue is you can't be so inclusive that you're exclusive. And that's exactly. kind of where we right. then you then you end up excluding the guys that you were trying to reach in the first place. Absolutely, Armin. What's what uh, what's what's stroking your fire right now? What's keeping you excited about doing this work each and every day? Because you know when we have these conversations, one would say, "Man, I don't even think they like their work very well." Dude. When they talk about the struggles <laughs> that they're going through, yet. You get up every morning and you plow in. What's that? What's what's keeping your fire stroked about fatherhood these days? Well, the fact that I get out there and I see more and more guys in parks, I see more and more guys pushing their babies around in strollers, and and I, I hear more and more stories from people about they're taking family leave uh, and and becoming involved dads. And then I, I get a ton of email from people saying you really helped me through the situation and. Thanks to your, I'm not trying to plug myself here too much, but you know, the, the book made me a better father, or I get things from mom saying, give this to my husband and, and he's so much more involved than 
than the guy down the street who didn't have, you know, it's that kind of thing. It's the feeling that, that I'm, I'm doing the kind of work that I want to do, which is to give dads the tools they need to be the kind of dads that they need to be and their kids want them to be and need them to be. And that, that, that's really it, is seeing, seeing that we're making a difference, that it's not just banging the head against the wall. It feels like that sometimes. There are plenty of times where it feels like we're just smacking my head against the wall and nothing's happening. But mm-hmm. then, then you get a nice email or you see a, a nice image of a, of a couple walking down the street with dad is clearly not only doing an involved thing, but he's enjoying it. And the kids are just so into it. You say, you know, I, in, in some small way, I, I, I may have helped that. Wow. So I think, I think that's, that's it, the, the nice warm and fuzzy feeling that, that, and seeing that there, there is light at the end of the tunnel. It's not all, not all bad news. And yes, it's not changing as fast as we'd like it to, but it's happening and we're, we're, we're fighting the good fight. Absolutely. So let's tell everybody how to get in touch with you, how to purchase your books, how to find your syndicated column, how to listen to your radio show. Let's give everybody all of that relevant information. Well, it's pretty simple. The, the easiest way is at mrdad.com, mrdad.com. That's where the columns, the podcasts, uh, pretty much everything is there. And if you're also interested, and there's plenty of overlap between fatherhood and men's health. The, the new men's health organization that I just started is called Healthy Men. It's healthymen.org. And uh, lots of information there. And we're, we're uh, just again launching this curriculum about men's. Uh, we have a big fatherhood section in there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but men's health and, uh, and fatherhood. And it's uh, be in touch. I do respond to everything that comes in. All right. Armin, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Once again, this is just one of his books, The Expected Father the ultimate guide for dads to be. Um, And I think that if you're already a dad, you need to read this book as well. There's some things in here that I've read. I mean, one of the things, Armin, that I love about the the way that you wrote the book is that I can see that you really took intentional focus on speaking to men the way men hear, um, if that makes sense. And so that was a great thing to see and to hear um, in the in, in the book that you did that you did that. And so thank you, everyone, for listening to I Am Dad podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you check us out on all of our social media um, outlets on YouTube, on all of your podcast platforms and our website at I Am Um, I will see you next week, same time, same place. Have a great week. God bless. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand 
that I am dad, period. period.